What's up, guys? You're listening to the That You May Know Him podcast. I'm your host, Blake Barbera. Excited to be back once again for another edition of the show and excited to be back for part two of our new series, God Save America? Question mark. I'm joined once again by my co-host for this series, Rich Russell, brother Rich. How are you, man? Hey, I'm doing great. Hey, I listened to the uh, I listened to last week's podcast and I liked it. You, were you really mean the good. one we did? Yeah. Hey, that's yeah. Great so news. I encourage people to go back and listen to it because it's a it laid a great foundation for uh, <laughs> uh, for this episode and this one will lay the foundation for the next one. So. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited. I'm yes. stoked for uh, to to move to the the next level and find out what's up for today for us. Well, as someone who's done about 120 of these podcasts in the last year and a half, if you listen back and you like it, that's a good thing. That's a really that's a good sign, Rich. Especially you as go. you're just getting into this. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. I listened to it. I listened to it again, and and I just got excited. Yeah. 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 I yeah. said, wow, this is really, this is really a message for, uh, you know, for people and it's really relevant for, you know, the times we're living in today. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think, I think the Lord has us right on the pulse of something that's not to toot our horn. Rich and I have conversations all the time and, you know, we started out with this idea. It's sort of blossomed out of our discussions about, uh, this this one brand of theology out there called dominion theology, which one of these episodes we're going to end up talking about, but our hearts for this, were both just, look, how do Christians stay focused on the kingdom? The one that matters, the kingdom of God and what life's really all about in the midst of the, this crazy world that we're living in. And look, America has been a huge blessing to many people and been in many ways, a God glorifying entity throughout the few centuries that we've been around. But, how do we how do we focus on the kingdom even while we're trying to hopefully if we can save this country uh i don't know i don't know if we can do both but that's why we're doing this series right rich yeah that's we're we're exploring and and yeah. you know i i you know we're men so we like to fix and repair we like to have answers <laughs> and uh you know i i think in our dialogues and and in the podcast it's it's really raised a lot of questions but with me, and I hope it's with everyone else, that as these questions get raised, it causes us to press in to uh, our knowledge of God and what his plans and purposes are, and not based on human understanding, but based on intimacy and encounter. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so let's just go for it. Last week, we talked about, last week, it was actually two weeks ago, this series is going to be hopefully every other Friday for the for the foreseeable future. In part one of God Save America, we talked about kingdom expectations. What were the people of God, the nation of Israel, expecting in their Messiah as they were receiving him, unknowingly for most of them? What did first century Jewish people expect in their Messiah? And then what did they actually receive in Jesus? Because as we both know, as many people know, there was a huge difference in what they were expecting and what they got. They were, for the most part, for the most part, because there's nuance to everything, expecting a Davidic king like David who was going to overthrow Rome, restore national sovereignty, restore national glory, and set up Israel for a glorious future. What they received was the Lamb of God 
who, who, who takes away the sins of the world. Rich, you said something really amazing early on in the last episode. The elephant in the room had to have been Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, right? Amidst their expectation of a Davidic mighty warrior king, here's all these prophets. Here's this, this particular amazing prophecy about the one who would be pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Okay, that's what we talked about in episode one. Go get caught up if you missed it. Today, I want to talk about parallels, Advent parallels. In fact, that's what this that's what this episode's called, Advent parallels. What are some of the similarities and what are some of the differences between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus? So, you know, you bring up, you know, that, that concept of the elephant in the room, and we have to ask ourselves that question. There are so many people with strong opinions about eschatology today. There's, yeah. there's a common, the, the common theme is the same as the first century. We yeah. are expecting the return of Christ yeah. in this generation, in our yeah. lifetime. Yeah. And, and I think that's, I think that's a reasonable assumption to make. And, yeah. you know, we might get into some of the biblical justifications for it. Uh-huh. But um, but we've got to ask that question in our eschatology. Yep. What is the elephant in our room? Yep. What are the what are the things like, you know, I I have I have strong opinions. I'm sure you have strong opinions. Me? No. Um, uh-uh. <laughs> But I really, you know, it, it's like I, I have to leave room for discussing the elephant in the room uh-huh. and, and, and having that foundation of dependence on Christ. So, uh-huh. uh, And just to clarify for listeners, many know, but there's probably some who, who, who are wondering, the word eschatology, what Rich is talking about is the end times, right? Eschatology is like a word for end times theology. The Greek word eschatos means the last things. So when we say eschatology, we're talking about our understanding of the last things, how how God's plan for history is sort of going to wrap up as Jesus returns or when Jesus returns. So yeah, Rich, there's there's more and more people talking about this. I mean, everywhere I turn, there's something new about Bible prophecy. It seems like every pastor that was making a name maybe a year and a half or two years ago, the few that didn't close down their churches, like I can think of a few out there in Southern California where you are, who got really, really famous in the last couple of years because they didn't close down their churches. They're now shifting. They're all shifting gears toward Jesus is coming back, toward eschatology, toward end times, toward that sort of thing. And like we said, there was a gigantic expectation the first time Jesus came, and there's this expectation happening now. There was an elephant in the room, right, for them that we can see looking back in history, which was you guys were expecting David. Instead, you got the suffering servant. You know, you got a you got a Galilean carpenter who was going to lay his life down. So what what is it that we're missing? Is that what is our elephant in the room? We, we have expectation. Is there, is there something that we, is there some way we need to manage that expectation? Well, I, I, I think the first way to manage the expectation is to recognize the times we're in. Okay. And, and, you know, they, they talk about a woke culture. I, I, 
I talk about the sleeping culture of the church. Uh-huh. It doesn't seem like we're really awake to the imminent return and the circumstances that have got to take place for his return. Oh. And, and, I, and I think if there's an elephant in the room, I think it may be apathy. So we talked about the political oppression and the religious oppression that took place in the first century. Yep. You know, we should probably head into, like, we don't see a political oppression like the extent that the Jews experienced with the Romans yet. Yep. And yet all the signs are there that it could be there. Right. And, you know, we could go into detail ad nauseum as right. to the potential of, of, you know, economic collapse, yep. military collapse, all the things that could take place. Yep. Um, but I think I'd, I think I'd like to focus on, on how do we get, how do we get out of that apathy? Uh-huh. Okay. The religious, the religious oppression, we don't see the religious oppression. I think the, I, I, I think the contrast from the first century isn't oppression, it's apathy. I think we're so settled in our comfortableness with Christ ah, interesting. Yep, and yep, our, yep, in yep. our Christianity that we think everything's going to be fine. This, this yeah. passive misunderstanding of the sovereignty of God that he's going to make everything right. Right. And the, the truth is he is going to make everything right. Yeah. But I still keep coming back to that birthing analogy. Yeah. And and how important it is to understand that when a woman goes into labor, yeah. Whether it's a relatively easy labor or it's very difficult and ends up in C section, yeah. She has only one focus. Yeah. And and I'm not sure that the church is going into that place of singular focus yeah. on his return and how then shall we live yeah. in the context of he is going to return and how much dependency can we have on this world and how much more do we have to transition our dependency uh, onto the kingdom yeah. and this sovereign God that we talked about that is not only transcendent, but he's also an ever-present help in time of need. Yeah. Do you think that the apathy of the church has something to do with how how spoiled American Christians have been more or less for 300 years. I, it, it does for me the the places in the world where this is, and this is true throughout history, the places in the world where the church is the most oppressed, where the church is acquainted with sorrow and suffering is the place where the church grows and thrives the most. And it seems like, there's spiritual reward in the lives of those people more, way more than, than the, the, there's a spiritual ri- richness, I should say, uh, in the lives of people. And I've, I've been acquainted with the church in parts of the world where it's not easy to be a Christian. Like for instance, in India, uh, in other parts of the world over there in the East, it seems like in America, the church has been being lulled to sleep for the better part of, I don't know, 200 years, 300 years, maybe. I, I really put the the primary responsibility on church leaders mm-hmm. that have been more interested in in building their churches and having their churches survive, yeah, um, and compete with the world and and 
yeah. rather than rather than really focusing on what the purpose of their church is is to know him and to reveal him yeah and there's so many distractions in the church. Uh, I almost yeah. call it an, an, you know, the church has become an entertainment-based, concert-style, teacher-centric format that actually distracts from our connection with God. Yeah. And I yeah. think God wants us, God wants his people back. Yeah. That's my, you know, and, and I think he's going to do that. And I think he's going to begin, his spirit is going to begin to move yeah. outside the organizational structure. Yeah. Inside the people of God but outside the structure. And we're going to begin to see new churches form uh, around that centrality of Christ and devotion and adoration to him. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping for. And I think that's what part of the transition into the kingdom of God is going to be those truly Christ centered kingdom gatherings. Yeah. Um, yeah. that, that build community, uh, around the presence of God. Yeah. Can I tell you a quick story about Hudson Taylor? I love this, it. This just came to mind. I, on our website, we have a, a Hudson Taylor spiritual secret right now. It's like our recommended, you know, kind of book of the month thing. It's one of my all time favorites and his life is, is so inspiring, but I'm reminded of a story. He spent about 10 years and you know, basically his, his entire twenties in China, um, with uh, a certain mission outfit there and God gave him a heart for China. He wanted to see the people of China come to know Christ. He had some really bad health problems and wound up back in England for like almost five years. And he just wanted to get back to China, but he was at odds with his mission organization because he didn't see enough of a commitment to the vision. And he had all these health issues. And it was on this day when he was visiting this church somewhere in South England along the coast. And he went outside on the beach to pray during the church service because his heart was broken at the fact that there was an entire congregation of people sitting and singing praises to the Lord, rejoicing in their salvation. And not one even seemed to even care at all of the fact that there were millions perishing and they were content to just sit in their pews and, and sing their songs and not do anything about it. That kind of <laughs> reminds me of the apathy that we're talking about. Major contrast between, and so it was in that moment that the Lord sort of revealed to him uh, the plan going forward that he was to go back to China. But major contrast between first century Israel and 2022 Western church. They had great, great, I mean, they were highly concerned and expecting some sort of deliverance for their kingdom and for their nation. It seems like the church here now, in many ways, is just sort of like, you know, asleep, as you say. Yeah, and and I really have a passion to to see people wake up and 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 have a clearer picture of the progression of events that are taking place. And and yeah. one of my you know, one of the, one of the, uh, I, I guess, um, what do you call it? Just a foundation for, for my belief is what happened to the Jews in Germany in World War II. Yeah. And I read an, I, I wanted to study up on it. So I read about it and there was an article by the Federation of Jews in Germany in yeah. 1932. Wow. They stated their adamant opposition and even hatred for Adolf Hitler and his hatred for the Jews. Yeah. 
But the article said this, we have the German constitution and our freedom of speech to protect us. Yep. And a year later, the arrests began. The closures yep. began, the arrests began, yep. and in 10 years, 6 million Jews were dead. Yep. And, and I don't want us to be so lulled to sleep by the security we've enjoyed yeah. that that security is guaranteed just because, just because. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's one of my—and Scripture says people— in the last days, there's going to be a great falling away. Yeah. So I believe in a billion-person revival. Yeah. I believe in a billion-person revival in the world, but I also see that there's going to be a great falling away in the church. Yep. And since 2019, the Lord woke me up to that Scripture, and I've been praying consistently, Lord, I don't want these ones—I want to minimize the falling away. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to is to wake people up to the reality of the times we're living in. Yeah. And to say, we're in labor, focus on the birth, focus on the return. Yeah. And uh, as a matter of fact, um, I, I don't know if it's appropriate to share it now, but I want to read Luke 21. Please, let's, you know what, Rich, let's jump into biblical signs. If we're going to talk about parallels and contrast, yeah. let's talk about what does the Bible actually say is going to be happening? What are the signs we're supposed to be looking for to know that Jesus is returning? Because he told us signs. So what are they? Perfect transition. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure you're going to get Matthew 24. You're, you've done a lot of studying on Matthew 24, and you'll talk about a lot of those signs uh, and what the, you know, the signs of the times, you know, the yeah. two that I think of, you know, are, and this is in Matthew 24, is the blossoming of the fig tree. Yeah. The fig tree is is often indicative or, or symbolic of Israel. So when Israel is restored, uh, that's going to be a sign of the end times. And mm-hmm. Israel was restored uh, very painfully uh, in 1948. Yeah. And it said, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Yeah. And that was in 1948. Yep. And so a generation, according to Psalm 90, is 70 or if by strength, 80 years. Yeah. That means all these things will be fulfilled by 2028. Uh, again, I want to come back to that, that his imminent return. Yeah. And then there's another scripture that talks about information will increase greatly. Yep. And we talk about the, you know, the knowledge. internet, this multiple exponential increase of information and knowledge. And, yep. and parallel to that, there's also an increase of revelation. So this is one of the things that's going to be, that we're going to need to have discernment on, is that there are going to be counterfeits in the natural yep. to, to what God is doing in the Spirit. So there's going to be an increase of revelation, but there's also going to be an increase in knowledge. Yep. Um, the whole concept of prepping, yep. you know, the, the, the Mormons have been doing this for decades, and Glenn Beck is really preaching it, and a lot of Christians are preaching it. Prepare, get food in the house, make sure you've got batteries, make sure you've got, you know, survive, survive, survive. And yet, and yet I think scripture tells us to prepare differently. And, uh, and I think, um, Rich, as long, as long as you're looking something up, I'll just throw out there. Yeah. Knowledge increases 
It says in multiple versions of the Olivet Discourse. And just so people know, the Olivet Discourse is basically the last bit of instructions that Jesus gave his disciples before the Last Supper. It's Matthew 24, it's Luke 21, it's Mark 13. All three Gospels, uh, all three of the four Gospels, record Jesus's message to his disciples about what would be going on in the earth when he returned. And you read them all together. They, they don't contradict each other. They don't, they, they don't, uh, you know, we're not supposed to compare and contrast. You read them synoptically. They all inform one another because you have three different perspectives of, uh, you know, three different eyewitness accounts of this amazing bit of instructions that Jesus gave his disciples. Sorry, Rich. I just want to throw that out there. And one thing that he says is knowledge will increase. Go ahead. Yeah. So, I just want to read scripture. Just let scripture speak for itself. Yeah. Uh, so, the, you know, in the natural, people are saying, you know, buy food, buy batteries, buy water. Uh, but this is what this is what Jesus says. It's in yeah. Luke 21, 34 and following. But be on your guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipations and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day closed down upon you suddenly like a trap. Yeah. For it will overtake all who live on the face of the whole earth. But stay alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that must happen and to stand before the Son of Man. Yep. Those are our instructions. Yep. And, and one thing I want to add that it, it talks about, and, and maybe you know the scripture reference, it, it talks about the, that these last days are going to be the most difficult in all history. Yes, yes. There's nothing, like not even the depression of the 30s, World War II, the genocide of the Jews. Um, yes. That, that's minuscule in comparison Yes. to the uh, tribulation that that is necessary, I believe is necessary prior to his return. And yes. I feel like I really need to address, I'm, I'm not encouraging fear. Yeah. I want to encourage faith. Just like a woman goes through labor, her hope, her joy, yeah, and the strength to endure the labor is in the joy of the birthing, the joy of the yep. return of Christ. We can endure, endure all things if we have that passionate desire uh, to, to, to be in faith when he returns. Yes. It's actually really good news that we're entering into a time of labor. Yes, and, and I And I don't want to just—I I don't want to prejudge the level of suffering. I, I don't want to focus on suffering— any, any more than I want to focus on a, a painless eschatology. I want to focus on Christ. Yep. Because fear increases pain in labor, and, and it'll, increase our, it'll increase our troubles if we don't just be focused on what our challenge is, and that is to don't focus on the things of this world, but focus on the return of Christ mm -hmm. without fear. Mm-hmm. Rich, uh, we said it in the last episode, part one, but I, I think it's worth repeating. And I, I don't think that we need to be so supremely focused on the suffering either, but uh, or on painless eschatology. God is in the business of purifying and perfecting. That's what he does. 
That's what he's doing in the church, in his bride. He will present to himself one day a bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. There's many ways that God can do that, but one of the ways he does that, one of the ways he reveals himself most profoundly to people is when we learn to value him more than anything else. And so I don't think we need to focus on the suffering exclusively either, but you can see this all through church history. You can see it all through the New Testament. Followers of Jesus focus on him, and when a moment comes where we're called to endure, we embrace him. Charles Spurgeon said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. Mm. And I love that because when a wave of life comes and throws you up and, and, and tosses you, let it toss you up against him. That's the way God wants to use every single trial and tribulation and hardship in your life. He wants, he wants to use it to press you into him deeper and in a more amazing way than ever before. And, but it's, it's up to people to choose if that's the way they're going to receive it or not. Well, and again, you know, a, a woman, I, my plumb line, my, my plumb line for my life now is the birthing process, the labor and birthing process. And I, I pretty much define everything like I don't want to go through labor, but there's no getting off the table at this point. <laughs> so we need to embrace it. And, and when can, not if contractions come, but when contractions come, breathe, yep. Yep. breathe. And, yeah. and, and allow the contraction, uh, to take place, cooperate with it. Don't fight it. Don't rail against God. Why is this happening to me? But right. embrace it as part of the process of, of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yep. Yep. Rich, will you read that passage one more time from Luke 21, um, about what Jesus, how Jesus said to prepare ourselves for the coming sure. days? Yeah. Yeah. It's Luke 21. 34 and following, but be on your guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day mm -hmm. closed down upon you suddenly like a trap for it will overtake all who live on the face of the whole earth, but stay alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape mm -hmm. all these things that must happen and mm -hmm. to stand before the son of man. Mm -hmm. You know, what's interesting, Rich, um, most people, when they talk about the Olivet Discourse, they always mention Matthew 24. And you know what is 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 amazing? It, it doesn't end in Matthew 24. It's also Matthew 25. Jesus goes from right into, he, he, he goes from discussing all these specific signs that he wants the disciples to be looking for, including, he says at one point, this will be worse than anything else that's ever happened on planet Earth. So for people who say, I just got to throw this out there for people who say Matthew 24 is not talking about, you know, something in the future that happened in 70 AD. That's not true. 70 AD is a type of what's going to happen in the end. But my Bible says that when Jesus returns, every eye will see him mm -hmm. period full stop. So I just want to clarify that 70 AD you could say is a type was a type of, of 19, 40s and you could say they're both a type of what's going to happen in the end absolutely but, but the worst is coming but what matthew 25 is all about is more more parables of the kingdom the parable of the 10 virgins the parable of the talents the parable of the wicked 
of the wicked servant. All these parables are about who is going to be prepared for the master, for the bridegroom when he comes. Great who, is, who is going to be prepared? Which, which uh, bridesmaids have oil in their lamps? And so they're awake and watching. Which servant isn't busy getting drunk and beating the other servants? No, he knows that the master of the house is coming at any point, And so he's awake and watching. Who is going to be prepared? Jesus was v- extremely concerned about this. He wanted us to be prepared. And, and I want to, uh, and I don't want to digress from that because I think that's really, really powerful. And I think that's probably a central theme uh, that, that I hope people really hear. But I, one, of the, one of the parallels, I, I have such an absolute certainty, and I think it's, it's unwavering in Scripture, is that the suffering lamb is not coming this time. That's right. The lion. That's right. Is coming. And That's and right. Matthew, I mean, uh, Daniel 2, 44 and 45, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar yep. and the crushing of the kingdoms yep. and the establishment of the kingdom of God yep. is is to me an absolute. That's not that's not negotiable. The only thing that's questionable is how that is going to happen. Yes. How that's going to happen and and what must the bride do to prepare itself yep. to be without spot or blemish so that yep. it can cry out with the Holy Spirit, because it says the, the Spirit and the bride say come. Yep. And so there must be a prepared bride yep. to bring it into an agreement with the Holy Spirit before Jesus can come. Yep. Rich, uh, not to get too theological, but um, one of the ways that I think one of the ways that 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 Judaism missed the Messiah in in, in many ways. There, there are many many Jewish people who are believers in Messiah, and, and there's many sadly today still who aren't. Um, but as we've talked about extensively, one of the reasons for that is because they were looking for David. They were looking for the lion, the lion of Judah. Right? They were looking for this kingly warrior. Uh, you know, will defeat every enemy sort of savior. And there's a reason for that. There are all sorts of, of messianic prophecies in the Old Testament that are perfectly in line with that picture. The problem is there's there's all sorts of other ones, like we've talked about Isaiah 53 as one example of the suffering servant. And so this is what's led for thousands of years in Judaism there to be a specific sort of vein of theology called dual messiism, where there's many Jews that actually believe that there's two messiahs that there's that. Yeah, I know not to get crazy. I just, I just want to, I just want to tell you about this because it's really, really interesting. The problem is they don't understand that there's, there's one messiah and he comes twice. He came once through the womb of a virgin. He'll come again descending from heaven and touching his foot down on the Mount of Olives. But just so people know, this has precedence, right? Like we're, we're not just making this up. I'm trying to get a guy on the podcast who wrote a book about this and he wrote a book called Messiah Ben Joseph. It gives you one side of the picture. Messiah Ben Joseph is an, is sort of an acronym for the, not an acronym, but a name for the picture of the, of the Messiah in the old Testament, who is the suffering servant, right? 
Joseph was thrown into slavery. Joseph was, was, was imprisoned. All these things happened to him. And yet God used it to bring salvation to his people, to his brothers, even though they're the ones that betrayed him. Anyway, I'm just throwing that out there to say, Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he will be a conquering king. He will be what they always wanted. And, and the, uh, a plumb line for me, and when we get into this painless eschatology and, and you know, like Welton eschatology and pre-trib rapture stuff, that the, there is a—I don't believe it's the job of the bride to conquer the kingdoms of the world. That's, no. the, that's the bridegroom's job. Yeah. So the, the question becomes, what's the job of the bride? Yeah. What's the job of the bride in 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 being prepared for his return? Yep. And not only what influence are we to have on uh you know on ourselves in preparing, but how can we how can we help others be prepared? Yeah. And and that that's a worthy discussion. You know, yep. that you you alluded to it earlier, Hudson Taylor just, you know, God just revealing his passion to save those who were going to perish. Yeah. And so yeah. without striving, how do we do that? Yeah. Um, rather than transforming institutions that I believe are going to be destroyed, um, what should our focus be uh, as the bride? Because I, I still come down to that. It's, it's the bridegroom's job to conquer our enemies and to destroy the human institutions that are oppressing the bride. Including you, the including yeah. the mountain of the church, but we'll get uh -huh. into that later. We'll get into that. Yeah. Did you say? <laughs> did you say other than trying to save the institutions that are going to be destroyed? Yeah, transform them. Bring. Tra there's a there's right. a there's a lot of of uh, of eschatology saying that it's the job of the bride to transform institutions, so that so the the king can come in and just rule and reign. And yeah, you know that's like th that's like throwing. To me, that's like throwing the woman in front of the serpent. Yeah. Say, go deal with them. Yeah. <laughs> Rich, I don't I don't want to I don't want to tease you too bad and then muzzle you because we can't <laughs> go down this road. But sometime we can't go down this road right now. We will in the future episodes. Sometime during this series, we're gonna have to do a, a little dive into church history and figure out just when this this Jewish sect called the way that was meeting in homes, uh, that was baptizing people, uh, in water and in the Holy spirit. And that was just simply trying to follow Jesus became a massive, gigantic, huge institution with all of these pagan rituals, uh, adopted into it. We're gonna have to get into that because I know if there's one thing that you're the most passionate about, it's, what does church actually, what is the church actually in the New Testament and how does the church actually function and what is the flagpole around which the church gathers and calls itself the church? Oh, you're is getting it, me excited. You're is it our programs and our, and our, and our structures and our, and our regular meeting times, or is it our devotion and adoration of Christ? You know, part of this revelation, this increasing of revelation is, you know, my passion for 35 years is, is what does the church really look like? What does God's church yeah. look like? And more and more now that we, you know, the end times are, are, 
are upon us. What does his end time church look like? What is our focus and, and how do we do it? What are our values? What structures, uh, what practices and, and how do we take advantage of the, you know, technology to maintain a plumb line of truth for a billion people? You know, and, and, and God's got answers for all those. And I think he's beginning to reveal those answers to, uh, to his people. Yep. So yeah, I'm, I would be stoked about going down that rabbit trail. All right. So that's another one, yet another episode we're going to add on to this series. Okay. Um, real quick before we move on, cause we got to actually wrap up here in the next few minutes, a few more signs, uh, a few more specific things that Jesus tells us to look for. When he returns, you talked about Luke 21, Olivet Discourse, according to Luke. I'll just mention a few things from Matthew. In verses uh, 4 through 8 of Matthew 24, Jesus says that there will be, well, first of all, he says, see that no one leads you astray. That's like probably the most repeated phrase in the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is constantly telling them, don't be deceived. Don't be led astray. He says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. He says that nation will rise against nation. And you know what's fascinating about that, Rich? That's the word ethnos in Greek. It's literally tribal groups, people groups, ethnicities versus ethnicities. Isn't that wild? Races versus races. Uh, races versus wow. races. Yeah. I mean, when 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 all the race riots were going on two summers ago, I, I couldn't I could not help but think about this. Race versus race, kingdom versus kingdom. There will be famines. There will be earthquakes. In other words, famines, mass hunger, right? Earthquakes, natural disasters. At one point, he says that there's going to be stars falling from heaven. These are but the beginning of the birth pangs, according to Jesus. This is just the beginning. And the most important thing he says, because I've I've talked to people about this and they say, well, we've seen those things happening on the earth ever since. You know, the first return, here's the most important thing he says in the passage. When you see, keyword, all these things taking place, all of them. When you see all of them happening at once, you know he's at the door. He talks about false prophets leading people astray. As I said, let me see here. Let me go over to 23 and 24. Then he says this. Um, if anyone says, look, here is the Christ. Or there he is, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So you talked about knowledge increasing, which has already happened. I mean, we have, most of us have cell phones in our pockets, which can access pretty much any piece of information that's ever been published, right? It's amazing. But then we also see, that God's going to be revealing things in scripture that we haven't seen before. Not only that, we've got false signs and false wonders being done by false teachers and false prophets. The last thing, Rich, and this one's a big one, is I believe that there is going to be mass corruption politically in governments and that there's going to be eventually, when Jesus returns, there's going to be wicked people in power. And we see this not only in the Olivet Discourse, but we see it in 2 Thessalonians 2. The abomination of desolations, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. The Antichrist who is going to, at one point, unite the kingdoms of the world and then just spread mass, mass casualty and mass destruction everywhere. 
there there must be an exposure of the total depravity of man and uh, and it's going to be manifest through the uh through man-made institutions and so okay. yeah you're absolutely right that's a that's a good thing to bring up it's it's and and yeah i i totally agree and i and i just want to come back the the best way to avoid deception yeah is i believe in the new church the gathering together of yeah. of believers depended upon the manifest presence of God to speak truth to them and then confirm it from one to another. It talks about it in 1 Corinthians 14, let one man prophesy and let other prophets judge. There's going to be that accountability and there needs to be a new church uh, to protect people. And God's desire is to protect people. You know, when we talk about the suffering, and I know we've got to finish up, but when we talk about suffering, we're talking about, um, uh, you know, I, I don't want to look like we're going to experience the wrath of God the way the world is. Yeah. I believe there's going to be Goshen's. I believe there's going to be hubs of his presence where yeah. there's where there's a measure of protection. But we're going to be so devoted to wanting to see people saved yeah. that Revelation 12 talks about the attitude of this generation. Yeah. Um, and the attitude of this generation is um, uh, we enjoyed the or the we overcame by the blood of the lamb, by the word of yeah. our testimony, and we did not love our lives even unto death. So yeah. even if it costs us our lives, we yeah. are going to abide in the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit because yeah. we'll be experiencing kingdom uh, yeah. in our hearts and with one another. Yeah. Rich, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Revelation 12 also where we see the, ver- where we see the woman giving birth? And the woman and the child are both protected in the protected in the wilderness for a time, right? There's a there's a place of security for them. Am I thinking of the right chapter? Yeah, yeah, I think that's in twelve, and you know yeah. that's above my pay grade. That's you know I'm not smart enough to figure that one out. But I I've sensed in my spirit yeah. that there is going to be a divine protection for the people of God who gather yeah. together under the umbrella of His presence and covering, in the same way the Israelites uh, yeah. were gathered together. Uh, uh, under the the cloud and the pillar, yeah, yeah. There's going to be Goshen's, yeah. That and that was all. I I just wanted to back that point up. I think you're right, completely. Uh, look, when 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 Elijah was dealing with Jezebel and Ahab, he had these places all the time that God was setting up for him. Whether it was by a brook being fed by ravens, whether it was with a Gentile widow uh, and God not letting the dish run dry, or whether it was Hey, I'm going to go rest under a tree and then go on a 40 day jog and, and, and live in a cave and God providing drink, water in a jar and hot food. In other words, all that to say, Elijah is definitely, definitely a type. And the days of Elijah are a type for the last days in many ways. But God is taking care of his people throughout. That's the point. He's taking care of his people throughout. Amen. Amen. <laughs> brother this was this was another good one what do you think what's your what's your gut feeling we're, we're, we're still live but what's your gut feeling is this going to be as good as the first one uh yeah i think so and <laughs> and i got a feeling that that we'll roll it into the next one and this is going to be a progressive manifestation of the heart of god and uh, oh, and man. that's that's I think that's both our passions is for people to understand the heart of God that yeah. you know in in the midst of the in the midst of the tribulation uh God is uh with us God is for us uh and God has a good plan for us so yeah. no fear just yeah. faith yeah yeah 
Amen. Uh, Lord, let it be. And Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Um, all right, Rich. So, just to just to just to wrap this up with a bow, we talked about parallels. We talked about the expectation that existed then and that exists now, and we talked about m- sort of mitigating those expectations in a healthy way and asking ourselves, what's the elephant in the room? And then we talked about some of the contrasts and some of the differences. And the biggest one for me, Jesus is not coming as a, as a baby, as a helpless child this time. He's not coming through the womb of a virgin. He's going to touch down. He's going to come just as he left. He could not ascend who but first descended. And the one who descended and ascended is going to descend again. And he's going to touch down on the Mount of Olives and he will rule and he will reign. Amen. Amen. And yes, come Lord Jesus, come. <laughs> All right, uh, Rich, this has been fun. Thanks again. And we'll, we'll do it again in a couple weeks. Looking forward to it. Bless you, my All friend. Right. You too. Thanks so much for listening, guys. This has been the That You May Know Him podcast. God Save America, part two, Advent Parallels. For Rich Russell, I'm Blake Barbera signing off. Stay blessed, live loved, and we will talk to you next time on That You May Know. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. Also, please consider giving us a five-star review and telling your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube and check out our website for tons of free, biblically-based content like Bible studies, devotionals, articles, and Bible teachings. The That You May Know Him podcast is produced by That You May Know Him Ministries, Durham, North Carolina. You can visit our website at thatyoumayknowhim.com.